0: Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is...
1: Brian Kozaska. Hey, Brian. Hey, Ben. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. We are continuing, like, you know, sharing some of the
0: interviews from our book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. And it's on sale right now at bluerosemag.com for $19.99.
1: Yeah, and our publisher did tell us that it's not a permanent price, but it's a special price for right now. So we honestly don't know how long this will be going on for. But we also know that we are getting close to running out of stock. And we believe we should be out by the end of the year. So if you want a copy, we highly recommend getting it now. Or if you know someone who would would love it for a Christmas present or a holiday present, please uh, go to bluerosemag.com and get a copy now. Because once we're out, we're out. And we're getting low. And so we thought we'd do another interview. We're not going to do every interview that we've done in the book, but I thought it would be fun
0: to, to share another one. And you know, with the Mandalorian, Star Wars Mandalorian is coming out soon. It seems like a perfect time to have Dwayne Dunham interview. So he's editor for George Lucas for Star Wars. He did the first prototype of Boba Fett back for, I think, Empire Strikes Back. And yeah. so, I mean, back then, I mean, if you see pictures, he's like, it's all white costume, but it's the makeup of what Boba Fett
1: looks like. So it's kind of cool. Ben, and I have to say, the audience listening today, um, there, are, there is some Star Wars talk, which obviously is not in the book. So you're going to get that in this interview. And I want to just say, it's very serendipitous what you will hear. And if you watch the first season Mandalorian, we had interviewed him and that first season had just hit, I put two and two together with something. I don't want to ruin it, but when you watch season one and you listen to the interview, it will click for you. And we'll talk about that after the interview when we come back.
0: Hello? Hey, Dwayne, it's Ben. Hey, Ben, how are you? I'm good, and I've got a a partner here, Brian. Hey, Dwayne, how are you? Uh,
2: Hi, I'm Brian. I'm, I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Good, good. So we're, ta- we're going to talk about Twin Peaks. I mean, I can't believe it's been, a, it's been 30 years for you since probably you first got involved with the Twin Peaks.
2: Yep, that's a frightening statistic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How did you get involved with uh, editing Twin Peaks, the pilot there?
2: Well, I first came in contact with David through blue velvet i didn't know david i knew of his work Hmm. and um he just he i was living up in the bay area i just finished with lucas and david wanted to edit in berkeley and there's you know pretty small pool up there so he called and said i want you to cut blue velvet for me and so we met and talked about it We did Blue Velvet, had a really good time and got on pretty good. And then I did, um, seems to me, I did a couple of, I edited a couple of uh, commercials for him. Hmm. And then he sent me the script for Twin Peaks. And he said, "Um, I'm sending you this script. Um, ABC will never air it, (laughs) but they're going to give us, you know, four or five million dollars. And so let's just go have some fun and make the movie. Nice. And that's kind of what we did.
0: Wow. One of the things I really think is interesting, you were there when David Lynch kind of came up with the red room idea. I mean, I don't know if you knew that like I he mentions in Lynch on Lynch that he you know, you you guys were in a lab and he got, you guys came out and it was really hot and he put his hand on a car and I think that's where he got Correct. the idea.
2: Do you remember that? Yes. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know you know, he yeah. I wasn't privy to the idea. I just saw, you know, kind of a crazy man. <laughs> um, and I mean that in a wonderful way because David had this sort of uh, a maroon, deep purple Mercedes, a real beautiful car, old car. And we had been in the cutting room and we walked out into the parking lot over at CFI, mm-hmm. the, the film, film uh, processing plant. And we were talking about something, and he just leaned onto the car, and all of a sudden, um, he just sprung back, and and, uh, my recollection is he said, I can't talk, I gotta go.
3: And
2: and he jumped in his car, and he sped away, and I just kind of stood there, like, okay, that's David. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. And
0: then for you, I mean, so this is all part of the the, the extended uh, part of the movie. So if you had to do it in other country, it'd be a, a one full movie. So you're in the ed, probably in the editing room, and you, all of a sudden you see this footage of the red room. What were you thinking?
2: Well, it, the the red room wasn't really the the thing that that was surprising to me. What huh. was surprising is that when we were. Up in Washington and shooting, and David was out in very adverse weather conditions, which which just you know made for a beautiful look because it was you know the deep blues and greens and blacks of the forest, and the actors were freezing you know so their cheeks are red and their mm-hmm. noses are running and you know but and then he was shooting with coral filters to warm it all up, and it was just a really great feel. Yeah. And, and anyway. One day he said something like uh, ABC had just informed him that they cannot and will not air uh, a pilot episode if if they don't pick this up, they said we need a closed ending. Well there was no closed ending. In other words, you have to answer the who done it.
3: Mm, wow. How can you do that?
2: Yeah. I, well, you know, that's why that will show was David's, and so he had mentioned it to me. And a couple of days later, it was like our last day or next to the last day up there. And about midnight, this delivery guy brought a cartload of film into the room, and and I said, oh, "You you got to be mistaken. We're done. We're you know <laughs> we'll leave in the morning. That can't be for for us." He said, Twin Peaks, right?" I said, "Yeah," and he said, "Well, it's for you." and so I, you know, grabbed a roll of film and I put it on the flatbed and I started looking at it and it was Bob, down in the basement, uh. and you know, and and being crazy and and it was the one-armed man and, and talking about living above it and I sure. mean it like it's bounds and all this weird stuff and I had yeah David hadn't mentioned a word of it, <laughs> so that became the so-called closed ending. Uh. Mm. And you know, in David's mind that was closed enough. And the red room, that was, you know, that was we were already deep in post, deep in post. And so when David got that idea, then it was, you know, he set it up there at the at the stage and you know, we shot it there and and it wasn't such a surprise because we recorded dialogue and um, re-recorded it played backwards so that the actors could learn their lines backwards and they set it backwards. And then when we got it back in the cutting room, we reversed it again. So now backwards was forward. Hmm. And and then we, we printed from tail to head. So the actors were actually speaking backwards and moving in reverse. Yeah. That's um, yeah. So, you know, it's a really wonderful um, technique that David came up with, and it worked really great. And, I'm, you know, I, I know David is. I'm very proud of that pilot episode of Twin Peaks. It's a, it's a great movie.
0: Oh, but, definitely. And you won an Emmy for that, didn't you? You won an Emmy for yes. single-camera picture editing. I mean, that is
2: yes. something else. Wow yeah that was that was pretty pretty fun night, and you know Twin Peaks was dominated for quite a few things, and i I think it wound up just Patty and I, Patty Norris, the production designer, and so that was a little bit of a disappointment, but you know those things are kind of subjective as it is, so you True. don't put much stock in it.
0: So you you go from the pilot and then uh, you you were editor then and then for this for the first episode you were actually ended up being the director how did that come about
2: It came about in a funny way because I really love working with David and when we were finishing Twin Peaks I asked him one day if he was going to do anything and he said no he was going to take some time off mm-hmm. and I said okay well I just want to know because I'm going to go get another editing job And I just want to make sure that, you know, if you're going to do something, I'd rather work with you. And he said, no, I'm not doing anything. And then uh, like a week later, he walked back in with Monty Montgomery and Monty had this project, Wild at Heart. And Monty was had been saying that he himself was going to direct it. And Mm -hmm. David walked in and he said, hey, I'm going to direct Wild at Heart and I want you to cut it. And I kind of looked at the two of them, and I, I said, I thought that was Monty's project. Oh. And David says, nope, it's mine now. <laughs> I said, well, do you have a script? And he said, no, but it won't be hard to get one. And I said, well, when do you plan on shooting? And he said, you know, it was like maybe six weeks away or something. Wow. And I said, wow, that's ambitious, David. <laughs> Um, I said, but the problem is, you know, we had a talk and and you said this wasn't going to happen. So I got another job and I started as soon as this one's finished in a few days. And he said, no, no, you you have to cut wild at part. And I said, I can't do that, David. I can't trade one editing job for another. Another. Mm-hmm. I just I just can't do that. And he said, well, OK, what would it take for you to cut Wild at Heart? Wow. And I said, I'm in this business for one reason. I want to direct and make my own movies. And, uh, you know, if if that situation uh, came upon me, then everybody would understand that, that that's a you know, it's an important move. And and, you know, it's not trading, uh, you know, an apple for an apple. Hmm. And he thought for a moment, and he said, okay, I'll tell you what. ABC just picked us up for seven episodes. You can, cut, you can direct the first episode and a few others. Now, will you cut while at heart for me? <laughs> and that's how it happened.
0: Wow. Oh, nice. <laughs> Isn't that something? And you had, so, yeah. I mean, to be the first director, I mean, Pilot was on location, so they had to build new sets. I mean, it was all, it was a whole new thing. You got to probably witness the building of the sets and, and be involved with the whole thing.
2: Yes, um, I did. You know, we had the film, so we were providing photo reference for the sets. And, you know, when you look at it, it really made a certain amount of sense because, yes, I didn't have directorial experience. But outside of David and probably even Mark, you know, I knew the movie as well as anybody. I knew the characters. And I was still actively working on them. Hmm. So the one the one advantage was I was very comfortable in, in being confident that I would be able to get the actors right where they were from the pilot. See, I didn't have to create that. Dave hmm. did that. So it was just a matter of reminding them of who that character was because, you know, we had shot that over a year earlier.
0: Yeah. Wow.
2: And so, you know, that was part of it. And then it was a kind of a crazy time because I finished, <clears throat> excuse me, the pilot of Twin Peaks. And then David started shooting Wild at Heart and I started cutting Wild at Heart. And then I took a break to go direct the first episode of Twin Peaks. And I finished, we shot in seven days and I finished the same day David finished shooting the feature wild at heart
3: wow
2: so we met back, back at the cutting room and now we had the first episode of wild, of twin peaks and we had the feature wild at heart and then david started directing the second episode of twin peaks and so we had the those seven episodes were going on at the same time the feature wild at heart was going on and it was, it, it, it sound, kind of sounds crazy, but it, awesome. it wasn't. It just was a lot of fun.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's something. I loved your directing style in that, especially in that first episode. I mean, I love the opening with the pan to Cooper upside down and your style. I almost feel it was like a play. Like you would do these shots where you'd have two people in the shot and there wasn't a lot of, of cuts. They, they were just playing in that, in that one shot. It was beautifully done. I mean, how did you decide to do that style like that?
2: well you know david (laughs) david shoots a bit in that style you know he he doesn't move the camera a lot lucas doesn't move the camera Mm. a lot and you know i suppose that style probably came out of my having worked closely with material from both those guys it's also knowing as an editor that you know my strength is in editing and so i would shoot so, so to say, around the movie. I just knew I need these pieces. Mm. Somebody like Spielberg, he'll go and just shoot the movie. Mm. You know, he knows exactly what he wants and how to get it and what it is. And I shoot around it. I go out, I just make sure I got all the pieces. So when I go back to the cutting room, I can empty that sack of pieces and somehow put it together. And David's a bit that way in the sense that he's always, in a strange way, the characters are still developing, and certain certain ways that the story is going together continues to evolve. And it, and it comes out of yet another style, an editorial style. And so I suppose that's it. But, you know, I also am aware that you don't have much time to edit those things. So mm-hmm. if I could get... If I could get it in one, I would get it in yeah. one in a oneer. Wow! Uh, and <laughs> you know, and and actually, everybody, it was kind of a, a thing. We all challenged one another. You got to have one scene in in these first seven episodes. It's a oneer. You got to yeah. do a oneer. <laughs> I think mine was Audrey's dance. You start uh. on her set, and pull back, and her dad comes in. Yeah. And,
0: and you also deal with Bobby and, and Mike in the jail cell. Like you guys are like squeezed in there and yeah. they, they just, I don't think there's any cuts really in that.
2: Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but again, for me, one of the greats that I like to watch and study is Preston Sturgis. And I consider him the master of the two shot. And he you know, cinema's just changed and, and it's a lot of rapid editing and people don't much pay that much attention to screen direction and what side of the line you're on and this, that and the other. Um, but, you know, what Preston Sturgis would do is he would create the energy in the blocking and in the actors and then the blocking, the camera would have very little movement, if anything. But he would create singles into two shots, into a close three, and back to a single, and and it just all was one take. Hmm. Wow! And I just, I, I kind of gravitate toward that. I like where the actors move within the frame and play to the camera, and the camera just to play with them.
0: Yeah. It works. Mm. really something. So your episode is the first time that Cooper and Audrey actually meet each other. Did you see the chemistry between Kyle and uh, Shailen Fenn as the director?
2: Uh, I can't really say so. I mean, gosh, you know, he's a handsome guy. She's a very attractive young woman. and Yeah. and the character she played was so outrageous, you know. Just this, this whole idea of somebody leaves the house wearing these, goes to school and puts on red high heels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, you a lot about that character. Right. <laughs> oh man. And, you know, so you you know you 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 look at it and you kind of have a sense of you know when you're doing episodic work, you you don't you don't have in front of you because the scripts aren't aren't there but you know you can ask questions and say David or Mark you know where is this going is this going to go is this going to lead to anything and you can ask questions like that and sometimes um, certain things are revealed that that help you but you know just a it, really it was just a human attraction it didn't have anything to do with the real people it was mm-hmm. just those characters in that environment in that situation and you know, she came prancing into the room and caught his attention and kind of had him, you know, I think I played it oh, he, where he was a little bit, a little bit dumbfounded. <laughs> he wasn't quite sharp as he would be otherwise because, you know, she kind of got under his skin and that then makes him a little more human.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, like some editors actually listen to music when they edit and stuff. Is there things that help you to, to edit or like what is your style?
2: Well, my style is derived from working with a lot of different editors, but it's mostly influenced by Lucas. Uh-huh. I don't even edit with sound. I never, ever, right? ever cut to music. Wow. Ever.
0: Wow. And
2: wow. any Anybody who works with me, I, I won't allow it. Yeah, that, that's a cheat. Right. Yeah. Music does so much for you. And sometimes it can mask a flawed performance or a flawed rhythm in the editing. And so I know what they're saying. I can read the lips. I, I know what, what the lines are. And mm. and it just gets annoying to me. So I, I turn the dialogue down, off. And oftentimes I'll say, okay, guys, let's run this scene. I want to show you what we're doing here. And we'll start running. And They say, uh Sorry, could you turn the sound on, please? <laughs>
3: uh,
0: it's great to hear that because I think at Twin Peaks, a lot of times it seems like the the, the music kind of carry, and in some of the episodes, the music kind of carries the uh, the characters and the show, and you feel like it just you're moving with the music. But it's nice to hear that that the music doesn't influence the way you edit.
2: You look, there are people who, who the first thing they do is find a piece of music and cut to it. Mm. They can't to me, that's cheating
3: yep.
2: and, and you're not going to get the best uh, rhythm and pace out of your scene. But I, but there's an interesting thing with twin peaks, twin peaks had a very specific rhythm of its own. The, the, the delivery of the dialogue, mm. the pauses and the reactions, the thinking, uh, that's the way David wrote it. And that's the way he directed the actors. So, When I shot episode one of the series, in film and television, the standard is one one page of script translates to one minute on the screen. Mm,
3: Wow.
2: On average. Yeah. Well, I knew with David, that's not so. Mm. You know, David's, his one page of script is a lot more than one minute on the screen.
3: Yeah.
2: And so when I got the script for the first episode, it was, I don't know the exact page count, but it was in the low 70s. And I was saying, this script is too long.
3: Hmm.
2: You know, we have to, you know, an hour program is like 43 minutes show. And I said, this is going to be way long and we're going to wind up getting rid of stuff. And so by about the third or fourth episode, because my episode came in way long, uh, David's, Tina's. And then they finally got down and the ideal length, I think, was 34 pages Hmm. for for 43 minutes of program. See, so that influences the editorial style, because sometimes you're pushing something, sometimes you're holding back sometimes you're letting a moment play sometimes you're accelerating a moment or creating a pause or whatever but the rhythm of the piece is really in my opinion the rhythm of the dialogue and the manner in which those characters deliver that dialogue and that you know so when you start with the pilot and then go episode one and, and two and so that's you know me and David up front you know, it starts to lock in, and and then everybody starts falling into that pattern.
0: Yeah. Yep. In the original series, you came back as the editor for episode eight, which I well, that would be the season premiere of the second season. And what I remember loving about that is like the waiter and his slow pace. And I think I think some people were kind of like, it's too slow, but I thought that was amazing. And I must it must have been so fun to edit this this slow. Uh, return to to the new season
2: there. Well, see, that was David's episode. Yeah. And so that was the deal. It's, you know, he would want me to cut whatever he did.
3: Yeah.
2: And, um, you know, that that's always fun. David has a, a, a rhythm and a pace that he enjoys. Hmm. And he's worked long enough and he's earned the right to have it be any way he wants. So many things that I worked with him on in the past had time limitations. Hmm. Blue Velvet, when we screened it the first time, it was three hours and 57 minutes, and the lights came on, and David sat for a minute, and then he turned to me, and he said, wow, I really like it. I just have one problem. And I was thinking, <laughs> wow, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, for me to have final cut, it has to be less than two hours in length. Wow. So, so we had a big job ahead of us. Wild at heart, we cut it way down. And then, um, of course, television has has uh, restraints on a certain number of commercials, and they have to uh, occur at certain places on the clock. And the, the ultimate running time is like forty three minutes and some odd seconds. But so you're you gotta you gotta be within you know those those limitations or constraints the more recent twin peaks david didn't have that they had those episodes and he didn't write it episodic he wrote it as one mm-hmm. giant continuous story and so part of the challenge was just to figure out using the script as a uh, the roadmap you know where do these scenes fit and the i think the time of each episode had to be between 52 and 60 minutes you know and it just was one of those things that kind of worked out that just about every episode ended at the roadhouse with a musical number
0: yeah but how do you tackle something i mean that's i mean Mm. it's almost like where it seems like you're making like nine movies if they're like two (laughs) hour move i mean it's huge i mean would you say this is one of the biggest projects you've ever done
2: they're all big because you you treat them all the same. And, you know, no one movie is any more important than another, at least yeah. in my book. It doesn't matter, you know, if I'm what what role I'm playing, I'm just going to give you what I got and try and make that material the best it can be. But when David first mentioned the project to me, it's going to be nine, nine hours. Mm. You, you wouldn't even call them episodes, nine parts, one hour each. And I laughed and said yeah I know you nine will be a 10 11 12. yes <clears throat> and then he laughed and said or 13 or 14 uh. <laughs> so, so as as he was shooting I'd say you know David I already have six hours on the shelf and you're you're nowhere near halfway through your schedule and I, I'm gonna project we're gonna be at I don't know, 14, maybe, maybe even 15 hours. Wow! And then I would keep adjusting and saying, David, I, I know we're 17. I just don't know if we're 18.
3: Yeah.
2: And, and what never changed was we had, which was a one year timeline from the day David started shooting to the day we had to turn over locked picture to Showtime that date never changed, even though the movie, the movie ballooned to twice the size. Mm. We just, we just kept going. I, you know, I had to put, I wasn't happy about it because I told David, I said, look, if you're going to shoot the whole thing, then I'm going to cut the whole thing. Wow. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't possible. And so we put a couple more editors on at the very end, uh, for specific, um, material and you know because we weren't moving off that date i kept saying is that date etched in stone and david said "This etched in granite wow wow so you say okay well we'll we'll do it but you know this is what it'll take
0: and can you talk about you so you use these index cards can you talk about how you use them in the for the show
2: yes uh, um i use them they serve a number of purposes i learned the system with lucas and you know many writers george of course george would write with index cards and he'd have an idea of a scene or uh, uh, just an idea and he'd pin it up on the board and you know you try to find a structure that way and And so when we're editing the first thing that i do is i go through the script and i like to do it myself because i get more familiar with the story and i do uh, just a abbreviation of what the scene is day or night and the scene number and i put them up on a board in the order the structural order of the script then when you get scenes hook together and you you kind of get enough material that forms one reel then then you put that designation up so in the end during the editorial process when you've got your your cut together you can just stand back and look at the board and visually um you can see where you are and i use a color code system that tells me i haven't touched the dailies on this scene or i've done my first pass or uh, I've done the first pass, another color is my first pass, and, waiting, and, and David has notes on it, and then I have to do the notes, and then once it's all done, the pins go red. So I can look at the board and know our status very quickly, but the other thing, it's so much faster to stand in front of that board. It was hard with Twin Peaks because it wasn't a board, it was the entire cutting room. Up one wall, down the other. Wow. back Down, back, it completely, 360 degrees. We have cards up, oh and goodness. then I had a, a couple of moving platforms that had the last hour or two on it. So you could you could stand in the middle of the room, and then I color code even further, and I'd say, okay, this color is is bad, Cooper. This color is Audrey. This color is Laura's mom and, you know, be, and, and this is where Agent Cooper, you know, he turned from bad Cooper to this is Dougie and then this is the FBI guy we know. So, so you could look at that board and the roadhouse had a different color. So you could look and if you knew what the color codes, you could see a balance. And sometimes, you know, you'd stand there and say, David, this is really important um, story point happens right here in hour three we don't come back to it till hour 15 is that gonna be a problem mm-hmm. and you know so you look at it and you go well no I don't think so And you know so off you go so I, I just use it it's a shortcut for me I can see the entire movie on the wall and, and then all of my assistants know that system and and they update the board Uh, you know, as we're cutting along, and we always know where we are.
3: That
0: is something. That is Mm. really something else.
2: Wow, I love it. Well, editing is organization. Yes, yes.
0: A lot of the fans are always wondering, like, In the show, in the season three, it seems like there's almost like time jumps or going back and forth. There's one time where Bobby goes to the double R and he's talking about like, I think it was like a day ago, we we found some stuff out about my father. But in the episodes, it would have been a few episodes difference. Is there ever a concern about chronological or is everything done with a purpose or David just doesn't care about the timeline?
2: No, you know, to be fair, David cares about... Everything, yeah, right, uh, to the nth degree, and you know, it. I'm not quite sure. I I know the scene you're talking about, but everything, you know, we always try to keep things in a proper timeline, so you know, so that the the audience isn't ahead of the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and because that Twin Peaks was one hour each week. And well it was two hours the first episode but it was one hour each week yeah you know think about that gosh it's uh you know what if you did well four four hours equals one month so you're three months down the road but that's what I was saying earlier you're gonna be three months away from it that's three months of uh, a person living a full life mm. uh, events and circumstances are you even going to remember yeah. what happened to go right
0: <laughs> so, yeah
2: little of that at play
0: i can understand that yeah I mean, the big one, the big episode that I think everybody talks about, or it's part, is part eight. I mean, like, <laughs> that to me is just an amazing, I mean, to me, that is like Space Odyssey, the, the Stargate sequence. Like, that is just mind boggling, incredible. What was it like being part of that, uh, that, uh,
2: that part? Well, first, I will say it, that that's all David. Yeah. And, you know, it's when, when I was going through it and, Uh, trying to figure out which which songs play in which scenes and and where do those roadhouse things the thing with nine inch nails occurred to me that that has to happen in the middle of that episode and it's what lets cooper kind of wake up from you know that experience having been shot in the in the woodsman that was a part of it and then it was the balance of the reels as we were going along. It's kind of a careful balance to know, well, okay, if we left this this at at, at fifty two minutes, that gives us you know another eight minutes we could put here. so it was a it was kind of a chess game of sorts. How to balance it so that each each episode had a beginning and had a proper ending that it felt like it ended. And so that we always kept that in mind, but the it just so happened that that episode was the atomic explosion, and Cooper getting shot, mm. and uh, the the woodsman going in the radio station, and the girl in the frog moth, and you know just some really strange and and fun and interesting things. I personally love that episode. Yeah. Now there's one where David. Can do what he wants to, that explosion goes on for a long time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I actually rewatched it. And it was literally, it's almost literally 10 minutes to the exact second, which I mean, yeah. I'm sure if, if David would say, like, I don't know if 10 is perfection, but he is very much into his numbers. So it's yes. like 10 <laughs> minutes to the exact. I mean, exactly.
2: Yeah. It's, and I remember distinctly, and David showed me an early version because when he came back, it was so crazy because. He he hadn't seen anything mm-hmm. while he was shooting. Yeah. So even when he was back in L.A. and he'd come through on the weekend, I'd say, "Hey, you want to take a look at anything? Or you want to look at this? I could use some some help or some input." He'd say, "No, no, you'll figure it out." And uh, he finished shooting somewhere around the twenty third or fourth of April, and I think we were a full we're about maybe 16 hours at that time. Wow. He fully cut. Wow. And I didn't even, I didn't even watch it with him. It took him a whole week, you know, to, to just to watch the movie. Cause he would do it in maybe three hour chunks a day. Yeah. It's, it's hard to look at more than that and formulate your thoughts.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But, um, so so what we had, May, June, July, August, we had four months. The movie grew by two hours, and we locked the whole thing. And that first screening, he gave me notes, and that's about the only time he gave me any notes. And um, it's kind of the way it had to be. But when he showed me an early rendition of the atomic explosion, when he came back, we had a talk, and and I said, "Look, I've got so much to do just to cut these scenes together, and there's there's sequences in here that only you know what you want to do with it. Anyways, mm-hmm. why don't you hand, why don't you tackle those?" So you know, we made a big list and said, "Okay, David, these are these are yours," and and that was one of them, um, yeah. the atomic explosion. You know, I had something in there and a title card just as a. A very 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 crude space holder but this is what i was talking about earlier where david in my mind has earned the right Mm -hmm. to have anything be exactly the way he wants it and yeah he ran he ran that thing for me and i really caught myself and instead of saying what i would normally say something like wow it's that's it's maybe just a little bit too long, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> and I formulated the same idea in different words and said something like, wow, you know, uh, if that uh, if those images hold a, an audience's attention for that long, that's that's really going to be something. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Nice. And I wasn't. I wasn't fooling him. He knew exactly
0: (laughs) what I was saying. That's great. Wow. Well, you cleared up some things. I was wondering how he... I mean, Sabrina had said to us that he was editing. And I was like, how is he editing? Like, you know, know, Dwayne is doing the editing. But I see now that, you know, he was directing and then he comes back. And that's when he can have his, you know, do certain parts that
2: only he knows. That's right. right. It just under normal circumstances, you know, I would... You know, rough things out, um, or even just you know, it'd be fine cut. It's like one of the scenes I'm most proud of is the one with uh, Red and and uh, Richard Horn. Yeah. Oh yeah. Balthazar yeah. Getty and uh, Eamon, and because it was just a crazy thing, and the way David shot it was crazy. Editing it, it just it that it took me a long time to put that scene together and it was the way david was going for something and Mm -hmm. i knew he was going for something you know and he just wouldn't he wouldn't give me any input like go this direction or that direction he just you know you'll figure it out and that's what's great about working with david but there were things a lot of things like you know the the big special effects stuff with nato and Atomic Explosion. Mm. I, I'm sure there's a, some other things in there as well. And then David would go in and in certain, you know, certain scenes that he wanted to fine tune. There just was no time. We had to work in tandem. That's all. Wow. I, you know, just yeah. had to keep going. And and he and I never, well, we never sat down and reviewed a single scene. The only thing I we ever looked at together was... We spent a lot of time sorting out the opening of the movie, huh. and tried a lot of different things. And Sabrina was kind of concerned because we were spending a lot of time. But I kept saying, "Sabrina, don't worry. You know the scenes are in good shape. It's just you've got to get this thing up and running." And 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 then we we, we just can't change her mind and go back. We got to make sure it's right. So took a long time to get the first three hours sorted out
0: and those are so they're so tight they're so good those three hours and so much happening yeah i love it i mean it it was worth it
2: yeah and, and that's the other thing it's you know that creature in the box i mean i i just on the avid filled it with some silly smoke you know that i grabbed out of the avid and that would represent that creature that's supposed to Form in the box, and then so David would come along, and he, you know, shoot something and put it in and play with it, and um, it worked out really well. It's always fun working with David.
1: Um, this is kind of like a, a weird question, but since we're on the topic of editing and everything, in part twelve, the uh, Doctor Amp uh, Doctor Jacoby scene, it yeah. um, it's interesting. I just want to know. That scene was used – was the same scene from uh, part five. Was there a reason you guys used the exact same scene or was yeah, it
2: I, – Yeah, I don't think it's the exact same scene, but it's close to it. It's like mm. we wanted – the character was so good. Russ did such a good job with that character that we just wanted another, you know, Jacoby scene in there. Yeah. And, you know, as I remember, and it's been a while now, but as I remember, it's it's almost the same. But the reasoning was it doesn't matter. This is, this is what the guy does. Gotcha. He just rants, and, and so it doesn't matter, <laughs> hmm. you know, when.
1: Right. Okay, yeah. Because
2: that,
1: yeah. that, I always felt like uh, part 12 it was an extended version of what we saw in 5. But that makes sense. Yeah, like he does this all the time. But I like it because yeah.
0: it gets you back into his his world.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Right. Yeah. And you know, this is a this is a byproduct of now think about what we're talking about here, because we're talking about hour twelve that didn't exist if David would have shot it so there were only nine hours. The all of that story probably would have been condensed down and that, in, you know, imagine if you can, what, what that story looks like yeah. in half the amount of time.
3: Right. Wow.
0: Right. Makes sense. And what if you went the other way? So, like, you know, when we have, like, Firewalk with Wee, we have these missing scenes that took 20 years to get or so. 20 years from now, will we have missing scenes from season three? Will there be, like, all this footage that we could have seen that just didn't make it in the show?
2: No the only thing that didn't make it in that show is um, uh, the bands that performed at the roadhouse David I think shot I forget how many bands maybe 12 bands and mm-hmm. you know in the in a day or two something like that and everybody did two or three songs uh-huh. wow. so one of the things that that we did is I hired a an editor who did a really terrific job. And I said, Here, your job is to take all of these songs and make it a music ad, a video. Yeah. Huh. But we're going to cut music videos. And then I'll use that as a basis when I select a song that goes in a certain scene and we'll figure out how it plays within that scene or it plays on its own. And that was a great thing. I think David is, you know, he just digging into those uh, those music videos right now.
0: That's awesome, yeah. and I love that you guys used that as a lot of the parts were used to end the show. I yeah. think that was brilliant to actually do it that way.
2: It just kind of wound up that way. The way that traditional episodic TV goes, you leave your commercial breaks. When you go to commercial, you want to leave it in something of a cliffhanger, yeah, and you want to leave the ending a definite cliffhanger because you want people to tune back in to see what happened. Well, this isn't that way. Sometimes just by the luck of the draw it would time out and say, "Oh, we got a good cliffhanger here." And sometimes it wouldn't. And then in the the wild card, so to speak, were all the musical numbers from the roadhouse that you could move those around. And figure out the balance of your one hour episodes, Wow,
1: yeah, worked out that's well.
0: Cool. yeah. I you probably have some geeky questions. I mean I guess I mean, that's most of our our twin Peaks questions. Yeah. I mean, do you have anything else to share with us about working on on Twin Peaks?
2: Not, not really, but um, I was thrilled when I saw Bad Cooper for the first time hmm. and that wonderful, strange music, and just, just his demeanor and what he looked like and you know it was fun to it was just fun to go back into the world of Twin Peaks if I maybe personally would have liked to have spent a little more time in Twin Peaks Yeah. yeah but that's not what this story was this story was more about Agent Cooper and you know the Black Lodge and all this other stuff and and then the other thing was Sort of crashing the the world of bad cooper and and his music with yeah. the, the the traditional lush music of the first twin peaks.
3: Yeah.
2: And you know it, it was kind of interesting, but not not really. I mean, it's just it's great working with David, and you know you couldn't help, but be reminded at times that we all were much younger way back on the first <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's something.
0: Yeah, I felt like the, some some of the message of Twin this new Twin Peaks felt like you can't go home again. Like, I felt like there was this home, I mean, the new Dougie says home, and like there was almost like two roads uh-huh. and you could have chosen where you're going. But in the end, it felt like, you know, you can't, it's nostalgic in a way that you can't go home again, that this is, you know i don't know different (laughs) it's
2: it's a different life and so yeah well i don't know i you know even in the script i i was like david i you know i like it i don't know what this ending is i'm a little confused by it (laughs) um you know am i missing something and you know i pretty much felt the same (laughs) the same way when when we cut it together and it was over like what exactly was that
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's what we all said oh uh, yeah
0: yeah uh, it's good to know that yeah. you feel the same yeah, yeah yeah we I think we have a few geeky questions I have to, yeah.
1: yeah dwayne I have one question if I don't ask you this I'll regret it the rest of my life because okay. I don't know when I'll get yeah. to talk to you again uh, we're both huge Star Wars fans and I know obviously you edited a Star Wars film um but what I don't know why it's bothered me, and I know you didn't edit this episode. Uh, would it be episode twenty <laughs> one is episode. No, no. Well, okay,
0: it, well, it's the it's the Miss Twin Peaks.
1: So episode seventeen. Well, it's it's twenty eight. Okay, twenty eight. Yeah. So this is how nerdy we are. We argue about episode numbers. Anyways, but it's epi- point. <laughs> It's episode twenty eight. But I noticed they someone uses the star wipes from Star Wars. In that episode only the transition of time. Yeah. But twice and in between is the I'm your father moment with Donna and Ben Horn. <laughs> and it 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 stands like a sore thumb because we all know the Star Wars wipes are generally yeah. you only see them in Star Wars films.
0: So your point is you think that one of the editors is a Star Wars fan and I,
1: I was just like going, that is so weird. we during um the pageant, we have the Star Wars wipe left to right we have the moment not that like not that many minutes after that with the basically Ben Horns telling Donna I'm your father and then we yet again we see the star wars wipe again and then we never see it the whole series we never see those wipes and i don't know i just wanted to ask you if you happen <laughs> if you knew anything about that if you- i don't know
2: i i don't i don't have a recollection of it but i will tell you on my movie the happy worker i used nothing but the star wars wife ah,
0: <laughs> love it yes
2: love it. that is awesome and and i hadn't used one since return of the jedi wow time.
0: wow uh I, I,
1: and yeah I about, don't...
0: and talking about return of the jedi you could you could have you could have I, uh, actually worked on Return of the jedi with david lynch david lynch almost directed a Return of the Jedi. I mean, I think Lucas asked him to, yeah. to direct it. Wouldn't that have been something if you actually directed it and you had edited it before Blue Velvet?
2: Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, it was, it, it's a longer story, but I will just say it's a favorite story of mine that when we were in London at Elstree Studios shooting Empire Strikes Back, Stanley Kubrick was on the lot editing The Shining. Wow. And it was Stanley who introduced George and I to David's movie, The Eraserhead.
0: Is that right? Wow. So
2: George and I both watched Eraserhead for the first time with Stanley Kubrick.
1: That is
2: unbelievable. Definitely left left an impression.
1: Yes, it does. (laughs) That movie does leave an impression.
0: The
2: only other Star Wars so, thing is that you, you were actually
0: Boba Fett. You, you did the prototype of Boba, Boba Fett, which is, I think, crazy to think that you actually got in the suit and, and tested it out.
2: Yeah, well, it, you know, there was only a, a few of us, you know, at the studio at the time. And when Norman Reynolds, the production designer, brought the costume over, it was the all white prototype for Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to you know, be the right size. And, and George says, here, put this on (laughs) so, so he could see it, you know, what it looked like with somebody wearing it. Nobody ever knew that, you know, it would just become this thing or that Boba would become this character because everybody had high hopes for Boba. And I think, you know, George was somewhat disappointed and I'm not sure why, but Boba just didn't come off as he had imagined. And so when he said, We're just gonna throw him in the Sarlacc pit, you know, we, we revolted. You can't oh. do you can't do that to Boba. You've <laughs> got to give him a bigger send off than that. Yeah. So just throw him in the pit. Oh. <laughs> Let's get rid of him. Oh.
1: <laughs> wow. And then we got Django Fat years later.
0: And we got Disney Plus doing yes. their they're doing their the own Mandal- own, L- own Yeah, I mean, It's huge. Wow.
2: Yeah. So if you listen very carefully in Empire Strikes Back, when when Boba Fett is introduced and you see him in this wide shot walking down this hallway left to right, you'll hear the ching, ching, ching. We would be honored if you would join us. He's wearing spurs.
3: <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. That's something else. Oh.
2: Yeah. Well, one day I said, Ben, why don't we put spurs on Boba? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's out riding. Uh, well, I mean, Cowboys. in the cartoon, in the cartoon, he was riding that weird, um,
0: like, alien,
2: uh, like, a,
1: like a cowboy.
0: Uh, that's funny.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, he's, he's – I, you know, look, you could draw some strange comparisons to any of the spaghetti westerns with Mm. Clint Eastwood. You know, when I put that suit on, George, you know, one of the things is we need a cape. And I said, there's a Star Wars towel in the garage right over there. (laughs) Grab that. (laughs) (laughs) He slings that over my shoulder like the cape, the poncho. (laughs) That's great. Oh.
1: Man, that's so cool.
0: Well, Dwayne, thank you so much for your time. I yeah, really appreciate you that. Guys. I mean, this is great to share all this. And uh, I, you know, in another life, I wish I was an editor. I love, you know, the, I love the whole idea of the process of editing. I think just having all these pieces and being able to tell a story. And I think that's such a gift that you have to be able to yeah. do that.
2: Well, thank you. But I will tell you, it doesn't have to be in another life. This is the best, absolute best time without question for anybody to start in this business and work in this business, especially in editorial. There's so much work going on right now. It's hard to find an assistant, hmm. a good assistant. It's really, this town is busy. I've never seen that ever, wow. my whole career. Yeah,
0: well thank, so, wow, yeah. it's good to know that. I mean, I've done yeah. a little bit of Avid and Premiere and Final Cut and I've played around a little bit, but it's nice to know that there's you know still opportunities.
2: Look, it's all about storytelling, and and as I said, editing is organization. It's what mm-hmm. you use as much as what you don't use, and, you know, you do those skills and what you're doing. We just spent, yeah. you know, the last probably, you know, half hour or an hour. Um, now you're going to go off and edit it. Same same principle. Same yeah. principle. And oh. I always, when, when I have a choice in the matter and i'm hiring an assistant editor i like uh people that come from an english literature background Mm. because they have two reasons they um have a strong story sense Mm. and more importantly they can correct my horrible grammar and punctuation
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's great uh Thank you, Dwayne, so much. Yeah, thank, thank we you. We really do appreciate it. Okay, I'm so glad we got to connect with you. It's been, it's been yes. wonderful. Really. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Same here. I enjoyed it, and good luck to you guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good one.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Dwayne Dunham. I mean, I as somebody who loves editing, like, I mean, in another life, I wanted to be an editor and to be Brian. able to, you know, pick his brain, Dwayne Dunham. And he was so open and he shared everything and he shared probably more information than I thought he would. I mean, like he, I mean, to find out that he pretty much edited almost the entire season of uh, season three. I mean, he, I think, what did he say? Maybe it was all the way up to part 15, 16, I think it was 16. Right. But it was just right. him and David Lynch was still working uh filming and working on it and stuff. So, I don't know, he, it was a great interview.
1: Yeah, and, and like I said in the beginning of this, this is kind of spoilers, so if you haven't seen Mandalorian Season 1, maybe fast forward a little bit, but there is an episode um, at the very end, I think it might even be after the credits, I can't remember now, or it right before the credits, and someone uh, there's a dead body, I believe, and you hear the noise. Dwayne Dunham talked about how they added they added the cowboy spur noise when <laughs> Bubba <laughs> Fat would show up because it was like a gunslinger. Well, in Mandalorian season one, you see the boots, you hear the spurs. Yeah. And there was speculation of who that character is. And we still don't know. But if I had to place my bet, and since they had George Lucas on the set, I want to say that is going to be Boba Fett. There's no question in my mind, it's going to be Boba Fett because they use that same sound effects that Dwayne Dunham talked about on our podcast, and it blew my mind. Like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. And we had just spoken to him, and online – People are speculating all these things, and I'm like, no, come on. Now, remind me, though,
0: what time period is Mandalorian? Why did I think it was five years after Return of the Jedi? Am I wrong about that? When did it, when does this?
1: Mandalorian is set five years after the fall of the Empire and Return of the Jedi, and 25 years before the rise of the First Order, the Force Awakens.
0: Is that five years after Return of the Jedi? Yeah. So, right. But so, I mean that means Boba Fett would be have been uh, eaten by
1: the uh Sarlacc. Pit pit. Yeah, but there, he could have escaped. I mean there it's it's been in other things that he lived. In the comic books in the
0: Marvel comic books I think it spit it spit him out or something like
1: right, that. Right. Like listen, if it's not if it's not him it could possibly be someone else that has that suit. But Boba Fett is not a true Mandalorian anyway. He, ah, he stole He's a clone. Well, he's a clone. We, we found out from the prequels, but he's, that, that armor is stolen. He's not a true mm. Mandalorian. So I don't know. I mean, but my money is on its uh, Bubba Fett or his armor on someone else. That would be cool. Well, yeah. we don't have too long to wait to start getting maybe getting some answers here. I know. So cool. But I hope everybody enjoyed this interview because it was one of my favorites. Definitely one of mine too. And, and,
0: and Dwayne there gave us so much time and it was just so nice to get to talk to him and him to be uh, sharing this. And I hope everybody enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, if you did enjoy this, we recommend you, uh, if you haven't already, pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book at bluerosemag.com.
1: And before we go, give us an email at unwrapped at gmail.com. I'm loving all the emails we've been getting. We're also on iTunes. Give us that five-star review. Or on Google Play. All your favorite podcast places. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on the old Facebook. And uh, you know what? All our links can always be found in our show notes or at TwinPeaksUnwrapped.com.
0: See you next week.